All right, hey. Good morning. Hey, if you, uh, if you do not have a Bible, grab a, grab a Bible on your way back to the seat. There's some on the shelves down here. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this again. Um, happy 2019. That went like, like, whoop, bonk. Um, that's, yeah. Okay, so I need to, uh, this is just, by, by the way, my name's Tim. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic. Um, welcome. Uh, how many of you are uh, not like, uh, f- not like physiologically, uh, like chemically, uh, or, or any other substance hungover, but just kind of holiday hungover? <laughs> is, that, is that appropriate to ask? I didn't run that by anybody first, so... Um, if you're, and what I mean by that, let me define that. Um, what I mean by that is it just, you're just kind of dragging a little bit and you're not back into the, the, the kind of normal swing rhythm of, of existence of life. If, if that's where you are right now, can you just raise your hand? It, oh, not that many of us. Okay. Well, some, some. Maybe you're just too hungover to even raise your hand, which is totally fine. Um, but, but you're here, you're sitting, we're... We're here. It's it's good. I um I I'm I'm not. I don't feel totally in the swing of things yet. And uh, a number of, of friends that I've talked to are just kind of feel that. Who um who's maybe home life family kids all reengage in school like schedule tomorrow? How about about there? Okay, not a number of so. How many of you are uh, college students who, for some unknown reason, don't start school for like way over 72 hours still yet? Oh, good, okay. I was, I'm just gonna be really jealous if that's you. Um, so, okay, not, not, not fully into it yet. So this is kind of a, um, for us here at, at Mosaic, we're kind of starting into, obviously, our new year. First Sunday of the year, um, last couple Sundays were great. We had great Christmas Eve, wrapped up Advent. Um, last Sunday, if you were here with us, we did some kind of a reflection exercise, was a little bit different. Um, and now we're in 2019, and it's great to be in a new year, and we're, we're starting uh, fresh, but it, it just definitely feels like, okay, we're still kind of getting into the, into the rhythm of things. I want to sh- just tell you really quickly one, what, kind of one of my favorite things of the, the holidays and then um, one of my least favorite. And uh, I'm going to start in the least favorite and then, and then the favorite. Maybe even do that. Um, I, uh, a great, you know, Christmas, that was great. The next day after Christmas, we started about a, a 72-hour, three-day battle with our, our house plumbing. Um, and if, if you... Uh, uh, if you if you rent or lease or live in somebody else's space and those things happen, there's somebody to call. Um, if you own and are paying a mortgage, it's that's on you. Um, and so, just uh, I've I've been a homeowner now for I don't know how many years, and that still is a bummer for me. But um, we started a plumbing problem that lasted, and we were we were about six hours away from renting a a cement cutter to cut into our basement to fix the pipes, and then uh, a last friend unpaid, paid all the people I could think to pay to come and fix it. They couldn't fix it. And then a friend said, hey, try this and this and, 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 and plowed through our whatever problem we had under there and, and got it fixed. And so um, we're, we celebrated that. We celebrated like way more than we did on the turn of the new year. We celebrated when that, um, the, the ecstatic excitement that I expressed over text to, to Abby, she was at work that day. And um, so that was, that was both painful and then huge victory to, to, to conquer the pipes and to win. Um, and then one of my favorite things I got to do other than beat my plumbing was uh, 
uh, to go. Uh, I went skiing. My, my middle son, Max, went snowboarding. Um, but it was the, I think it was the first day that Ski Bowl was open and fresh snow. And if you, if you care about skiing and snowboarding, um, there's just a, a, just a draw to really, really fresh snow. And it just, if, 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 you, if you do that, it's, it, you're just kind of giddy. You're just kind of smiling and laughing as you're going down the mountain in fresh snow and got to have that experience in the lights on, at Ski Bowl. And that was, that was my favorite, one of my favorites. So I hope you had uh, not too much of a painful plumbing problem or some kind of other problem over Christmas break and, and that you, you had some kind of great experience that you can celebrate and look back on um, as we, as we kind of close this, not just 2018, but kind of this holiday season and start into a new rhythm uh, in, in the new year. We're going we're gonna to start something this morning that's going to go for, actually, we don't know how, how long. We've kind of set aside this next year at, at 2019, and I, I want to I start us into that as we open up scripture together. Uh, we've called it the story, a year of rediscovering Jesus. And so um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on, on the sides here, but um, we're going to start at little, maybe a little bit of a unique place. Um, but before I tell you where we're going to start, I want to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll open up Scripture together. So let's pray together. God, as we, as we gather in your, in your space, in your time, this is, this is your moment, and uh, you've invited us to be with you, and we're, we're glad we're glad to be in your presence. We're glad to be with your people. Um, we want to we want to experience you and and hear from you and uh, and know you as the God who who loves us, who created us, who watches over us and walks with us, uh, who has our good in mind, who protects us and provides for us, um, who's merciful and just and generous. God, you're good. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to move and work in us right now. Would you, would you pull us out of the, the transition season and the, the holidays and the getting back in gear? And would you, would you pull us into an, an awareness that you're at work and that you're, you're guiding us and leading us, that you want to do something new in us? Would you, would you wake us up and sharpen our minds to receive from you? And so, Holy Spirit, work in this time and in us right now. And Jesus, we, we know you and we declare you as, as God in the flesh, that you came to us. So we've looked at all of Christmas Advent season. You loved us so much that you came and stepped into to our world. And that you're our Savior and as our King and as our Redeemer. And so would you now, now speak to us and teach us and, and guide us? It's in your wonderful, powerful name that we pray. Amen. So there's this, uh, when we say the, the story, a, a year of, of rediscovering Jesus, what, what we want to do this year is to, is to um, root ourselves in the story of Scripture. So when we say the story, what we mean is the story that, that, that God tells us about himself through, through all of the Bible. And we're, we're going to do that in a uh, in, a, in a new way for us here at Mosaic, where we're just going to walk through Scripture together. Um, when we say a year of, of discovering or rediscovering Jesus, we hope that both happens. We hope that, that, that some discover Jesus for the first time this year, and we, we see that happen every year as a part of our church, and we pray that and hope that and plan for that this year. But that re in, in parentheses in front of it is, is something that we're sensing that we, we need to do as a church is 
not just as a whole, but, but individually, of how do we rediscover Jesus and, and in, in a sense, love Jesus in a, in a new way. And so as we step into this new year, uh, I, I want to I start and, and maybe start in a, a little bit of a unique uh, new place. And if you've grabbed a Bible on the side, it's page uh, 86 uh, for you. Um, but, but for the rest of us, if, if you're not using that Bible, find your way to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, the third book in, in Scripture. It's towards the beginning. Um, it's a book that's, that we don't spend a, a ton of time on um, as followers of Jesus, and certainly we don't, we don't open up and teach from it a ton. And the reason for that is because it's it, what, it, what it is. It's, it's um, in, in this part of the Bible called the, the Torah. The first five books of the Bible are the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But Leviticus is this, this detailed explanation of how the people of God, Israel, was to, to live. And, and it's, it's, uh, it, it bogs down at some points, and it's really, really detailed and specific. It's considered the law, and so there's all these things to follow and obey. And yet in it, what we have is we actually have the character of God revealed in some, in some really wonderful ways, and it takes a little bit of digging. But as, as we look in, into this next year, it's, it's not just a unique year for us as a church, which we believe it is, and we're, we're praying and hoping that it is. But, but it can't be a unique year for us as a church if it's not a unique year and a special year and a transformative year for me and for you as individuals. And so if, if we're to, to step into this new year and say, God, what is it that you want to do in me as an individual, as your daughter, as your son? How is it that you want to transform me and, and change me? And we're to look at this year and ask that question. I want us to look at a unique year in scripture that's laid out and, and God actually says, here's a, here's a different kind of year. Here's a, a unique kind of year. And as we look at that, I think what we can gain from that is, is a way to step into this year and to ask that same question of God for us, each one of us as individuals. And God, how do you want to do something new in me this year? So in, in Leviticus chapter 25, again, if you've got the Bibles from the side, it's page 86. Uh, otherwise, find your way to, to Leviticus chapter 25. And I want to read a, a, a good chunk of it here, and we'll kind of stop along the way, but it's got, it helps us get, here's what we, a unique year that God presents in Scripture, and it helps us to ask these same questions of what, God, how is this, can, can this be a transformative, significant year in my life? Verse 1, Leviticus 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai. So Moses is leading God's people, the Israelites, and he goes up to the mountain and hears from God. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I am going to give you. The land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. In the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields, or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. <clears throat> God's people, the people of Israel, had, had been in slavery for four, over 400 years, crying out to God repeatedly, free us, free us, free us. God eventually frees them. 
takes them across dry land, across a river. Pharaoh chases after them from Egypt where they had been slaves, gets caught in the river, and, and his army is, is, is drowned in the river as the people of Israel are, are off into the desert and free. On their way to a promised land, God says, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be yours, the promised land, land of Canaan. On their way there, Moses goes up to Sinai, to the mountain. And this is one of many, many instructions that he gets from God. And God says, when you get to the land, that's going to be great. Here's what you're to do with it. Here's how you're to live into it. And you're, you're to finally get your own land, your own property. You're to, you're to plant as you know how to do that and, and, to, and to harvest and to have food from it and, and grow your families and that's happened. But, but plant and harvest for six years, but then on the seventh year, don't. Don't plant anything. Don't touch the fields. Let the fields just lay. Let them be there. If stuff does grow, you can, you can take it. You can eat it. It's for you and, and your family and those that work for you, your servants, and for all of the animals, both the ones that you are responsible for and the other wild ones that just go along. The land will still produce some food, and, and that's fine. Eat it, but, but don't plant and don't systematically harvest and take from the land. Don't do that. Just let it sit. It's a, it's a different kind of year. If you've never heard the idea of Sabbath before, it simply means rest, and it's an idea that God has given to humanity, that he himself modeled in creation, and then that that all of humanity are to experience this kind of rest. And it's not just a rest of doing nothing, but it's a, it's a rest of paying attention to God and enjoying God and delighting in God. But he talks about a Sabbath for the, for the physical land, the soil and the dirt of not to plant for a year. So you've got people that are, that are in the desert at the time, and they for generations dreamed and, and hoped for and planned on and desired and wanted to have their own address, their own property, their own land, their own soil. And what that means is once they get that, that they can provide for themselves through planting and harvesting. They can build homes. They can grow families. They can have generations. They can pass it on to the next one. They can have, for them, what means life. And as they're headed there, God says, okay, this is how you're going to do it. For six years, do this, and then take a break. Take a pause. Uh, okay, that's, well, okay, we're, that sounds pretty bizarre, but, but we'll put that in the calendar. And then he goes on in the next verse and he says this, even a different kind of year. So that's every seven years, but then he talks about one that happens less frequently, but to put it on the calendar and plan it, and it's called a year of jubilee. It says this in verse eight. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of, and this is just math provided in Leviticus, if you, if you can't add this up on your own, for 49 years. So it just maps it out. Seven Sabbaths. So six years, take a Sabbath break and do that seven times. And seven times seven, again, if you don't know, it adds up to 49. It's right there. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. And hang on to that word just kind of in, in, in your mind for a moment. Liberty. Just kind of pause on that. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. It should be a celebration. The trumpet sounding, it's a celebration, a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return. That's a second word. Hang on to that word. Liberty. And now a second word, return. It is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the unintended vines. 
For it is a jubilee, and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the field. So very similar to every other Sabbath year. Same instructions. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return. There's that word again, return. Liberty and return. Liberty and return. Everyone is to return to their own property. So, pretty easy math. Seven times seven adds up to 49. In the 50th year, it's a year of jubilee. A trumpet sound goes off. Everybody hears it. And then it says, okay, here's what's to happen. You're not going to plant again in this year. And then you're to return. So if you've left your property, if you've sold it and moved on somewhere, or if somebody else has bought it, or there's been a change, at the 50th year, you go back to your family property. The other things that happen is, there, is everyone is, is set free. So not only do you return to your property, but if somehow you've become an indentured servant, if you've sold your, your, your life, your work hours to somebody else, it's different than slavery that, that happens a lot in the world today or that happened in, in, uh, in our country. It's, it's different than a, a person owning another person. It's that you're contractually obligated to somebody else to work off a debt that you basically sold yourself for a time. But at the 50th year, that expires and you're free. Any slave is set free in the 50th year. So it's not just about the land. It's actually about people being freed. And then the other part of this is that debts are canceled. I don't know how many of you are looking at January and what you charged and paid or set budget in place for the new year. And if you haven't done that, you should do that. But um, many of us have done that. And we've looked at, okay, I owe this, or we've got this kind of debt, or I'm going to take out this kind of loan. And, and imagine if, if we had that today. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? I'd, I'd, I'd vote for that. But debt just, just gone. Debts, debts are, are zeroed out. People are freed and returned to their family land. It's this, it's this massive, massive shift where everything changes in the 50th year. And here's the thing, it's, it's not a surprise. It, it, it doesn't surprise anyone. If, if you lived in the promised land, if you lived in Canaan, if you, were part, if you were near the Israelites, you knew about this. And the clock is always ticking and it's coming to you and then there's this massive, massive change where everything shifts and it goes back. Look at this. Verse 14. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. It's great. You are to buy from your own people, get this, on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price. Because, because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops, the number of times you can harvest. Do not take advantage of each other. There it is again. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. God's talking to his people and, and telling them how to manage selling their property. That's a bizarre thought, right? Now, I shared with you earlier that I'm a homeowner. I know I'm a homeowner because there was nobody else to call when the plumbing broke. I had to be responsible for that. I own my home. I'm paying it off. I have a mortgage. Imagine if God told each of us that happened to be homeowners how to sell and how much to sell for. What's happening here is it's saying, you have this Sabbath every seven years, but at 50 years, the land transfers back to its original owner. 
that God handed out through Moses and then through Joshua how the land was to be divided. And when the people moved into the land and began living as God's people in the land, they received soil. They received a a piece of property from God and they had it. But then God says, if if you ever sell that, sell it based on this calendar of when the the Jubilee year shows up. And it's going to have value based on how many crops you can produce. So if if a jubilee has just happened, the, the land is worth a lot because you've got close to 50 years that you can produce crops. If it's been about 44 years or so, you've only got a few more crop years left before a jubilee. So don't charge the same amount here that you would way back here because it's only a few years and then it's going to go back to its owner anyways. Keep all this out in the open and don't hide it. Don't take advantage of each other. Don't try to, try to manipulate or to, to fool but charge according. It's all right here in Leviticus. And, 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 and granted, Leviticus is not a book that's read very often. And, and it's hard to go, okay, we're talking about a specific land in, in another place of the world that none of us own property in, I don't think. So what does this have to do with us? Verse 18 says this, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops, which we would all ask. Okay, if we're going to do this, if we're going to get on board with God's calendar, um, how's this going to work out? How are we going to get the food that we need for our kids and our family and our grandkids and our our servants and our our livestock, and how are we going to feed everything if if we don't harvest for that year? And then if we wait for both a 49th and 50th year and we don't harvest then, it says, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. We have this ongoing debate in our home. Actually, it's not a debate. It's, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's just a, a complaint. A debate would be better. If we were more mature, we would probably have a debate, but it's just a complaint. And I won't, I won't out anyone in our family of five, but there's a debate that goes on in our home that's really just a complaint that is about leftovers. And uh, how often is appropriate and what kind and what is really good when it's leftover and what loses just desirability and flavor and, and what it's packaged in and what it looks like. And how, I mean, just the whole leftover debate. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I, I enjoy, well, I'm going to limit it to, to not me and to others, but you know, I like leftovers. I do. I, I, I think they're cheaper. Um, I think some just plain taste better. Um, it's easy to reheat. You don't have to prep anything. Like, there's a lot of just functionality in that, but I, I, just, I like leftovers. So some others in our home, other than me, complain about leftovers and, oh, leftovers is this, and, and clearly it's not the... Okay, there's three of us that complain in the home, okay? So it's down to three now, and um, it's not me or the one that I sleep next to. It's, it's the other three that complain at times about, uh, about leftovers in our home. And, it, it, and so uh, God provides leftovers. <laughs> leftovers, according to Leviticus, are God's blessing and gift in our lives. And so, all right, let's... let's Let's just wrap this up and pray now. And that is gold. That is enough for one day, and we could be done with that. But this is what God is saying here is He's saying, 
when you follow the way that I'm telling you to live, when you obey my commandments, when you listen to my invitation and you go in the way that I want you to go, I take care of you. I take care of you. He says, if you do this, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. If there's anything a slave wants, it's to be free, to be full, and to be safe. And what God says is, if you obey me, if you walk with me, if you trust me, if you go my way, you're gonna be free. I'm gonna return you. You're gonna, that word liberty that we flagged earlier, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you a free people. But not only are you gonna be a free people, but I'm gonna return you. Another word for that would be to restore you to how you're to be. You're to be a free people that live in a land and enjoy all that it has to offer, which is food to fill you, what you need to be full. You need food and freedom and safety. And I'm gonna give you all of that. What he's saying is don't go your own way. If you want to know the details of it, of okay, wait, if we trust you, God, and we, we don't plant and produce and harvest in the seventh year, and then also in all of the seventh year and in the 50th year, wait, how aren't we going to be hungry? Aren't going to we be weak? Isn't somebody going to come in and take over us? And God says, no. And if you want to know the actual details of how this happens, of how the groceries get to your house and how the food gets into your mouths and your stomachs, I'm going to give you so much in the sixth year. God's planning on this. I'm going to give you so much in the sixth year that you have enough for the seventh and for the eighth year. So when the year you're not harvesting, you've got leftovers. And then in the, in the eighth year, as you're planting again and it's not harvest till the end of the eighth year, you'll have leftovers. And not only that for that first year and the second year, but for the third year, I'm going to give you more than you actually need. So in the ninth year, you're going to have a double portion. And so when you open up your refrigerator and you pull out that Tupperware that you've lost the lid for and it's got oddly shaped tinfoil over the, the, the top of it and you take it out and you go, I don't know what's in here and you open it up, it's better than you ever thought. God is saying, I'm gonna provide more than you actually need. But here's how this works. When you walk with me, it works for you. When you don't, you suffer. It doesn't go well with you. Verse 23 says this, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Listen to that again. You reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. You reside in my land. God's telling us all this, I hear how to handle the land. Well, he's not telling us, he's telling the Israelites. This is how to do it. Sixth year, do this. Fiftieth year, do this. It's a year of jubilee. Trust me. Follow me. When you do, I'm going to fill your stomachs. I'm going to keep you safe. But remember this. You reside in my land. 
You reside in my land. As Americans who live in our day and age, who live in our free country with the abundance that we have and the resources that we have, with the education that we have and the culture that we have, it's easy for us to, to hear some of this and, and to immediately go to um, political um, positions and social policies and, and laws that our government has and ways of thinking about finances and land rights and all of that kind of stuff. And that's where our mind goes because for most of us, that's where we've been educated and grown up and this is where we've, we've got so much of our, our lens of how we view the world. And, and we can read something like this and go, oh, wait, wait, that's violating my rights. And you know, if I got this, then it's my land and I can show you I'm paying the mortgage on it. It's, it this is, I get this aside here. And, and God says into that, no, no, no. You're, you're strangers and aliens here. For those of us that have decided to follow Jesus, we're, we're strangers and aliens in this land. As much as we're paying a mortgage, as much as we're paying a lease, as much as we're buying a car, as much as we're investing in anything that we're investing in, this is temporary. We're strangers and aliens here. This is, let me say this, this is not our home. We're here for a little while and then we're on our way somewhere else. That this is all gonna be changed and renewed, that we're gonna be, and what God says is heaven with him forever. And he tells his people early on, you live in my land. God says, I own all of this. Yeah, you've had it in your clan and your tribe and your household for generations and you return every 50th year and debts are freed and you go back. But at the end of the day, this is my land. I own all of this. And you happen to reside here and co-steward it with me. But I own this and you are in my land. And for us, rather than thinking about our rights and our possessions and what we own and what we have power and control over, all of this that God is saying about how to handle the land and calendar and plan for it and trust him, all of this, what he is doing is he's saying, I want, to, I want you to know and understand that this is a relationship. I'm telling you how we relate to one another. I am the Lord of the universe. He says, fear God, I am the Lord your God. But I'm giving you this land. And when you trust me with it, it works out really well for you. That's what God is saying. He's talking about a relationship. He's defining the relationship for us. And the key definition that our humanity grates and fights against over and over and over again is that we want to go our own way. And we don't want to trust his way. We want to go our own way and make our own way. And for many of us, we can tell a story of going our own way and then hitting a wall or a break or almost sinking and going, okay, I want to get back with God. I want to follow God again and, and hear his voice and walk with him and experience his blessing. I want to go his way now. When, when God says in this text, don't take advantage of one another, he's saying, don't become like the people around you who are out to get more and more and more. Trust me. Don't go the way of the world. Trust me. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is how we're to be in relationship. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. And that's really, really good. It is good to reside in God's creation, his world, his timeline, his provision, his protection is really, really good. And there's so many around us that whisper and call to a different way of life. And God says, no, 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 stay on my track, stay with me. 
He says this in the very, very first Psalm. If you get our, our, our weekly email that we send out, I, I included a little note in it this week about God's been calling my attention back to this just familiar, simple, but, but radical few verses that begin the whole book, the really, really long book in the middle of Scripture, the book of Psalms. It says this, blessed is the one, and then it starts a list of do nots, who do, does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Listen to that again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers that avoids all of that, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And, and again, law isn't certain, you know, unless maybe you're a lawyer or in law school, maybe, maybe the, the idea of law doesn't like, oh, that's wonderful. It's not the law of the Lord as, as in just a list of rules. Law here means God's word to us. But blessed is the one who delights in the word of God in the word of God, and who meditates on his word, on, on his word day and night. I read a, a, a little note from, from somebody as I was looking over these verses and studying it this past week, and it said, what, 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 what meditate means is um, that, that two times a day that we go to God's word, uh, day and night. Now, I didn't think that was funny either, but... Um, <laughs> day and night, to get it, get it just, just twice, day and night, that's everything, all day long? It's done, it's done, okay. Um, it was like from the 1800s, I forget who it was, but yeah, it was, I'm sure it was funny then, it killed then, but. Um, <laughs> who, who meditates on scripture day and night. It, if any of us are gonna go, are going to walk with God. If any of us are going to say, I'm not going to go this direction, I'm going to go with God, and I'm going to delight in, in his law, in his word, in, in this book, and God talking to us, it, it's going to come through, through meditating on it. A lot of us hear that as, I need to read the Bible more, and um, that's absolutely what you should hear. <laughs> you should read scripture more. But it's not just reading it, and it's not just studying it, because that could honestly, that, could, that, that hangs up some of us sometimes as much as we should study God's word and understand more and more and more of it. But what this calls us to is to delight in it by meditating on it. And what that means is that to sit with it and not just read it and not just study it, but to sit with it and to meditate on it. And, and meditation can mean a lot of different things, and unfortunately it means a lot of um, unproductive things in, in our world right now. And, and, and meditation in general often means clearing your mind of all things, and scripture calls us to never do that. Never just empty our mind of everything. Our mind is a playing field for our own thoughts, ideas, desires, and wants, and all sorts of other kind of forces, and so it should never be blank. God makes this bold promise that to meditate on and let our minds and our hearts be soaked in his truth is actually what frees us and restores us. It brings us liberty and return to who we're intended to be. And so to meditate on it 
And that takes time, day and night, that our waking hours would bring us back to over and over God's word and scripture. And what that means is that there has to be some kind of a plan and discipline to be engaging in God's word on a regular basis. There's no kind of knowing what, what God is calling us to that is really gonna, gonna soak us deeply on a soul level of rediscovering or discovering Jesus unless we hear from his word that he's given us this gift of scripture that we can receive from and be transformed by. But it takes time and it takes discipline. Listen to this next verse. The person that delights and meditates on God's law, his word, his scripture, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. Listen to this in Jeremiah. It's a very similar um, message. And Jeremiah actually gets from Psalm 1 some, some of his very same phrases and ideas. But Jeremiah writes this in chapter 17. This is what the Lord says. It's clear language, bolder language. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Who tries to take advantage of, who tries to go his own way, who tries to live according to the ways of the world. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, who draws strength merely from our humanity and the ways of the world, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person's cursed. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. A bush in the wastelands is a, is a, is a, it was a, it was a type of bush that grows in the desert. And one of the uniquenesses of this particular bush, that's that word that we just hear generically as bush, and that can mean a lot of different things, but, but the bush that it's talking about that it actually names is a, is a type of plant that grows in the desert, which is a, quite a feat. But it's a, it's a plant that grows in the desert that doesn't produce flowers or fruit of any kind. It's nothing to look at. There's no blooming. It's not beautiful in any way. It doesn't add beauty in any way. And it doesn't add anything to eat or consume or to enjoy. It, it's, it's just there. It actually, it doesn't do anything. It just is there and it multiplies and grows in other places in the desert, but it's nothing to look at and it doesn't produce fruit. That kind of bush, that's who a person disconnected from God is compared to. And then it goes on, it says, they won't see prosperity when it comes, which means they see a different kind of prosperity. They don't see the true prosperity that God promises. They get distracted by other things. They don't see what God really has for them. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Get this. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots to the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. In a year of drought, it doesn't worry. In a year of Sabbath, in a year of Jubilee, it doesn't worry because it trusts in God. It trusts in God because it delights in his word. It trusts in God because it meditates on his word day and night. The idea of Jubilee, that 50th year, and all of those details and nuts and bolts that list out in, in Leviticus are both smaller 
and more personal than we could realize, and they're bigger than just the, the people of Israel long ago. It's smaller because it actually is more personal to us that God is whispering to us. Or maybe he's, maybe he's got some volume behind his voice and some of us can feel it right now and we know God's talking to me. I need to hear this, that, that I need to enter into a year of Jubilee. I need to shift and do things differently and not just continue on as I'm going. Because what I've been doing is trying to get more out of the land and not trusting God. I've been trying to work it myself through the Sabbath year and through the Jubilee year. I've been trying to do my own way and to take advantage not just of others, but of the land itself. And I need to make a shift. It's more personal to us because it's a call to each and every one of us as individuals of what does it mean for us to have our roots planted by the river that is God's truth and character and to trust in him, to actually be planted in fertile soil where we can grow. It's personal because it's individual to each and every one of us. It's smaller than maybe we thought as we heard it for the first time through Leviticus. Two questions for us as we think about it how small this, this truth and this, this call is. Two questions. The first is this. Is, is there one thing in your life that you need to, to un, unhook from the things of the world and go in a different direction? That no longer do you want to go down that path that scripture says is cursed to go down that. It ends up as a as a bush in the desert that doesn't produce anything good to look at or anything good for anyone else. What does it mean to unhinge from that? What's the one thing in your life that you know in 2019 you need to, you need to back up and unhook from and go in a new direction and get on, get on God's path with? If that comes to mind immediately and you know exactly what it is, or maybe you've already written down, or maybe you've already, we're six days in, we're, we're January 6th, maybe you've already made that shift, but, but what is one thing for you? If you have no idea where to start, three Three big areas to consider of where it's so easy for us to go the way of the world instead of the way that God's calling us. Three big areas are, are time, money, and sexuality. If you look through those three, there's one of those three that God is saying, shift how you're doing it. I guarantee every single one of us have something within one of those three areas, time, money, and sexuality. Of How do we not just conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed and begin to live in a different way and how we handle our time how we handle our money, how we handle our sexuality. I was talking to a, uh, a recent college graduate that's a part, been a part of Mosaic for a couple years, and um, I hadn't seen him for a while, and I, I saw him on a Sunday morning. So, hey, how, how you been? What's going on? He says, you know what? I, I had a job. He was a server at a restaurant, and he, he said, I, I, I just made a, a significant decision. I haven't been around because I've, I've, I've had to work. In order to have this job, I've had to work Sunday mornings. So I haven't been here on, on Sundays. And he says, you know what? I just, I just decided God just... Led me. I just decided I needed to. I needed to just make a shift, and without hardly any planning, I just walked in. and I told my manager, "I cannot work Sunday mornings anymore. I have to get off, or I've got to get a different job." And they were glad to shift his schedule and and, and change it and, and move it. That's, that sounds like such a simple thing, but the ripple effects of a simple thing like that of saying, "I need to be with my people. I need to be with the family of God. I need to sing and to worship and to, and to declare God's goodness with a bunch of other people on a regular basis." And I I had a good shift. I was making good money, but. I had to make that sacrifice. I had to make that change to, to shift what's time, money, sexuality. Somewhere in there, each of us can find one way to shift. The second question is this. What is your engagement with the Bible like? I've shared this story a couple times, but about a year ago, I started a new small men's discipleship huddle. Or I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to lead a, a, a few guys that I invited in um, from our church community and, and, and to 
um, to live in a new way. And we talked about, about scripture. And I just asked him one time early on in, in our year together, and we're still going, but I said, uh, hey, what's your engagement with scripture like? And we spent about 20 minutes, and it took time to get through all four of them. And, and, uh, and they kind of shared and, and talked to what scripture looked like. And so, and I listened, um, and I, I love them and respect them a ton. And I listened and got through all four of them. And then I, I said, thanks, thanks for sharing that. I go, if I'm hearing y'all correctly, it, it kind of sounds like zero engagement in scripture. And, and uh, one of the guys said, ah, that's mean. And the, the other three went, yeah, that's true. Um, so that's true for too many of us. If it's true for any of us, it's true for too many of us. What, what's your engagement with scripture like? Is it zero? Is this it of listening to me or Adam or somebody else talk on a Sunday? If this is it, that, that's not enough. Part of this year for us is that we want to we wanna get a way that each of us has an, a clear path and opportunity to engage for Scripture. We're working on a, on a reading schedule that's going to be ready in a couple weeks. And, and so February, rather than January 1, we're going to start February 1 and, and go through a, a reading plan. And it's going to help shape our what we mean by the story and, and how we... How we teach on Sundays is going to be linked with that, and so that's coming in a few weeks, but it's going to be an easily accessible way that each of us can be reading Scripture together. But what is your engagement with Scripture like? The call to a jubilee year in Leviticus is both very, very much smaller and personal than maybe we imagine. It's a call to, to give up something that's the way of this world and to step into Scripture in a new way. But it's also true for us as a church, and, and as we step into this in some form of a, of a jubilee year as a church, one of the things that God's calling us to is, is to rest, to, to, not, to not plant and harvest. And, and by that, we mean, yeah, we expect people to come, to come to Jesus for the first time this year and to baptize people and to, to be the church that God's called us to be, but to, but to rest this year. And part of that resting is, is discovering God's new vision for us as a church. We've, we've just passed our 15th birthday. We've gone, been through a health assessment. It's, We've learned things that this is where we're at and we need, to, we need to heal. We need to rest and we need to hear God's new vision. This next week, we're, um, we're gonna uh, decide how to form a, a, a team of people from us collectively as a church. It'll be a small team, probably 10 or 12 people. Um, they're gonna help kind of discern and guide us as we spend the next probably six months listening intently to God for his new vision for us. If, if we're planting and harvesting as we've always done, we've been busy about the things that God's called us to. We're not able to do that. And so as we enter into this year, the things you heard earlier announced as a, a time for worship and uh, town halls and things like that are, are to give us some space to rest and to heal up and to discover God's new vision for us. And so this is gonna be a unique year for us as a church. It's personal to us, our church, as well. But it's not just smaller and personal the message of a jubilee year is actually larger as well. Let me read this last verse for you. It comes from Luke chapter four as Jesus walks into his hometown, Nazareth, stands up in his synagogue and reads from the book of Isaiah. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue and as was his custom, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners or liberty for the prisoners and recovery of sight 
for the blind, or return, or restoration of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he's reading in Isaiah, Jesus is declaring a jubilee year. It's coming, it's coming. And what Jesus is inaugurating is a whole shift for all of humanity. And so while this is personal for us as a church and for us as individuals, it's also an invitation for us to join the work of God that he's been doing for some 2,000 years since Jesus announced this, that we get to partner with, to co-steward with God as he brings healing to this world. That that's what we're called to. We're called to a season of rest and rejuvenation, of jubilee, because God's called us to something much greater and bigger than any of us can fathom and imagine.